0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the world of Percy Jackson. In this episode, we're going to read chapters 23 to 24, and in the previous episode, we read chapters 21 to 22, and we have we had discovered a shocking revelation—not too shocking, but you know, still shocking in its in a sense because we found out that Sammy, who had such so closely resembled Leo, they might as well have gone as doppelgängers. It turns out that Sammy Valdez is Leo Valdez's great-grandfather. Which is so shocking because all this time, Hazel was right, essentially, on her hunch. Because they were so identical, they had to be related. And it turns out they were related. Sammy is Leo's great-grandfather. And I think this is also pretty shocking for Leo because we don't see too much into his reaction, but he's definitely shocked about the fact that Sammy, who Hazel talked very much about, is his great-grandfather. So I think this chapter is going to go into more depth about how he's feeling, how he is essentially thinking about this, but also trying to combat a monster that had uh is now attacking their ship so now we're gonna see how Leo's able to balance these two things and whether he's able to take care of the monster while also coming to the realization that sammy valdez is his great-grandfather and we'll see how he begins to accept it or more of how he gets used to the fact so now we're going to read chapter 23 leo leo deserved a dunce cap If he'd been thinking straight, he would have switched the ship's detection system from radar to sonar as soon as they left Charleston Harbor. That's what he had forgotten. He designed the hull to resonate every few seconds, sending waves through the mist and alerting Festus to any nearby monsters. But it only worked in one mode at a time, water or air. He'd been so rattled by the Romans, then the storm, then Hazel, that he'd completely forgotten. Now a monster was right underneath them. The ship tilted to starboard Hazel gripped the rigging hedge yelled valdas which button blows up monsters take the helm Leocron climbed the tilting deck and managed to grab the port rail he started clambering sideways toward the helm but when he saw the monster surface he forgot how to move the thing was a the length of their ship in the moonlight it looked like a cross between a giant shrimp and a cockroach with a pink con- uh, chitinous shell, a flat crayfish tail, and a millipede-type legs undulating hypnotically as the monster scraped against the hull of the Argo II. Its head surfaced last, the slimy pink face of an enormous catfish with glassy dead eyes, a gaping toothless maw, and a forest of of tentacles sprouting from each nostril, making the bushiest nose-beard Leo had ever had the pleasure to behold. Leo remembered special Friday night dinners he and his mom used to share at the local seafood restaurant in Houston. They would eat shrimp and catfish. The idea now made him want to throw up. Come on, Valdez! Hedge yelled. Take the wheel so I can get my baseball bat! A bat's not gonna help, Leo said, but he made his way through the helm, toward the helm. Behind him, the rest of his friends stumbled up the stairs. Percy yelled, What's going-? ah, Shrimpzilla?! Frank ran to Hazel's side. She was clutching the rigging, still dazed from her flashback, but she gestured that she was alright. The monster rammed the ship again. The hull groaned. Annabeth, Piper, and Jason tumbled to starboard and almost rolled overboard. Leo reached the helm. His hands flew across the controls. Over the intercom, fesses clacked and clicked about leaks below decks. But the ship didn't seem to be in danger of sinking. At least not yet. Leo toggled the oars. They could convert into spears, which should be enough to drive the creature away. Unfortunately, they were jammed. Shrimpzilla must have knocked them out of alignment, and the monster was in spitting distance, which meant that Leo couldn't use the ballistae without setting the Arger II on fire as well. "'How did it get so close?' Annabeth shouted, pulling herself up on the rail shields. "'I don't know!' Hedge snarled. He looked around for his bat, which had rolled across the quarterdeck. I'm stupid! Leo scolded himself. Stupid! Stupid! I forgot the sonar! The ship tilted farther to starboard. Either the monster was trying to give them a hug, or it was about to capsize them. Sonar? Hedge demanded. Pants, pipes, Valdez! Maybe you had been staring into Hazel's eyes, holding hands for so long. What? F- Frank yelped. It wasn't like that! Hazel protested. It doesn't matter! Piper said. Jason, can you call some lightning? Jason struggled to his feet. I... He only managed to shake his head. Summoning the storm earlier had taken too much out of him. Leo doubted the poor guy could pop a spark plug in the shape he was in. Percy! Annabeth said. Can you talk to that thing? Do you know what it is? The son of the sea god shook his head, clearly mystified. Maybe it's just curious about the ship. Maybe- The monster's tendrils lashed around the uh, uh, across the deck so fast, Leo didn't even have time to look. Look out! One slammed Percy in the chest and sent him crashing down the steps. Another wrapped around Piper's legs and dragged her, screaming toward the rail. Dozens more tendrils curled around the masts, encircling the crossbows and ripping down the rigging. No tear attack! Hedge snatched up his bat and leaped into action, but his hits just bounced harmlessly off the tendrils. Jason drew his sword. He tried to free Piper, but he was still weak. His gold blade cut through the tendrils with no problem, but faster than he could sever them. More took their place. Animus unsheathed her Jagger. She ran through the forest of tentacles, dodging and stabbing at whatever target she could find. Frank pulled out his bow. He fired over the side at the creature's body, lodging arrows in the chinks of its shell, but that only seemed to annoy the monster. It bellowed and rocked the ship. The mass creaked like it might snap off. They needed more firepower, but they couldn't use ballistae. They needed to deliver a blast that wouldn't destroy the ship. But How? Leo's eyes fixed on a supply crate next to Hazel's feet. Hazel, he yelled, that box, open it. She hesitated then saw the box he meant. The label read, warning, do not open. Open it, Leo yelled. Coach, take the wheel. Turn us toward the monster or we'll capsize. Hedge danced through the tentacles with his nimble goat hooves, smashing away with gusto. He bounded toward the helm and took the controls. Hope you got a plan, he shouted. A bad one. Leo raced toward the mast. The monster pushed against the Argo II. The The deck lurched to over to 45 degrees. Despite everyone's efforts, the tentacles were just too numerous to fight. They seemed able to elongate as much as they wanted. Soon they'd have the Argo II completely entangled. Percy hadn't appeared from below. The others were fighting for their lives against Snow's hair. Frank! Leo called as he ran toward Hazel. Buy some time! Can you turn into a shark or something? Frank glanced over, scowling, and in that moment, a a tentacle slammed into the big eye, knocking him overboard. Hazel screamed. She'd opened the supply box and almost dropped the two glass vials she was holding. Leo caught them. Each was the size of an apple, and the liquid inside glowed poisonous green. The glass was warm to the touch. Leo's chest felt it might implode from guilt. He'd just distracted Frank and possibly gotten him killed, but he couldn't think about it. He had to save the ship. Come on! He handed Hazel one of the vials. We can kill the monster! And save Frank! He hoped he wasn't lying. Getting to the port rail was more like rock climbing than walking, but finally they made it. What is this stuff? Hazel gasped, cradling her glass vial. Greek! Fire! Her eyes widened. Are you crazy? If these break, we'll burn the whole ship! It's melt! Leo said. Just chuck it down its- Suddenly Leo was crushed against Hazel and the world turned sideways. As they were lifted into the air, they realized they'd been wrapped together in a tentacle. Leo's arms were free, but it was all he could do to keep hold of his Greek fire vial. Hazel struggled. Her- Hazel struggled. Her arms were pinned, which meant at any moment the vial trapped between them might break, and that would be extremely bad for their health. They rose 10 feet, 20 feet, 30 feet above the monster. Leo caught a glimpse of his friends in a losing battle, yelling and slashing at the monster's nose hairs. He, sh- he saw Coach Hedge struggling to keep the ship from capsizing. The sea was dark, but in the moonlight he saw he saw a glistening object floating near the monster. Maybe the unconscious body of Frank Zhang. "'Leo!' Hazel gasped. "'I can't. My arms. Hazel,' he said. "'Do you trust me?' "'No! Me neither!' Leo admitted. "'When this thing drops us, hold your breath. "'Whatever you do, try to chuck your vial as far away from the ship as possible.' why why would it drop us leo stared down at the monster's head this would be a tough shot but he had no choice he raised the vial in his left hand he pressed his hand right hand against the tentacle and summoned fire to his palm a narrowly focused white hot burst that got the creature's attention a tremble went all the way down the tentacle as its flesh blistered under leo's torch the monster raised its maw bellowing in pain and leo threw his greek fire straight down its throat after that things got fuzzy Leo felt the tentacle release them. They fell. He heard a muffled explosion and saw a green flash of light inside the giant pink lampshade of the monster's body. The water hit Leo's face like a brick wrapped in sandpaper, and he sank into darkness. He clamped his mouth shut, trying not to breathe, but he could feel himself losing consciousness. Through the sting of the salt water, he thought he saw the hazy silhouette of the ship's hull above, a dark oval surrounded by a Greek fiery corona. But he couldn't tell if the ship was actually on fire. Killed by a giant shrimp. Leo thought bitterly. At least the of the Second survive. At least let the the Second survive. Let my friends be okay. His vision began to dim. His lungs burned. Just as he was about to give up, a strange face hovered ab- over him. A man who looked like Chiron, the trainer back at camp. He had the same curly hair, shaggy beard, and intelligent eyes. A look somewhere between wild hippie and fatherly professor. Except this man's skin was the color of a lima bean. The man silently held up a dagger. His expression was grim and reproachful, as if to say, now hold still or I can't kill you properly. Leo blacked out. When Leo woke, he wondered if he was a ghost in another flashback because he was floating weightlessly. His eyes slowly adjusted to the dim light. About time, Frank's voice had too much reverb, like he was speaking through several layers of plastic wrap. Leo sat up, or rather he drifted upright. He was underwater, in a cave about the size of a two-car garage. Phosphorescent moss covered the ceiling, bathing the room in a blue and green glow. The floor was a carpet of sea urchins, which would have been uncomfortable to walk on, but so glad Leo was glad he was floating. He didn't understand how he could be breathing with no air. Frank levitated nearby in meditation position. With his chubby face and his grumpy expression, he looked like a Buddha who achieved enlightenment and wasn't thrilled about it. The only exit to the cave was blocked by a massive abalone shell, its surface glistening in pearl and rose and turquoise. If this cave was a prison, at least it had an awesome door. Where are we? Leo asked. Where is everyone else? Everyone? Frank grumbled. I don't know. As far as I can tell, it's just you and me and Hazel down here. The fish horse guys took Hazel about an hour ago, leaving me with you. Frank's tone made it obvious he didn't approve of those arrangements. He didn't look injured, but Leo realized that he no longer had his bow or quiver. In a panic, Leo patted his waist. His tool belt was gone. They searched us, Frank said. Took anything that could be a weapon. Who? Leo demanded. Who are these fish horse? Fish horse guys, Frank clarified, which wasn't very clear. They must have grabbed us when we fell in the ocean and dragged us, wherever this is. Leo remembered the last thing he'd seen before he passed out. The lima bean colored face of the bearded man with a dagger. The shrimp monster. The R2nd. Is the ship okay? I don't know. Frank said darkly. The others might be in trouble or hurt, or hurt. Or or, worse. But I guess you care more about your ship than your friends. Leo felt like his face had just hit the water again. What kind of stupid thing? Then he realized why Frank was so angry. The flashback. Things that happened so fast with the monster attack, Leo had almost forgotten. Coach Hedge had made that stupid comment about Leo and Hazel holding hands and gazing into each other's eyes. It probably hadn't helped that Leo had gone Frank knocked overboard right after that. Suddenly, Leo found it hard to meet Frank's gaze. Look, man, I'm sorry I got us into this mess. I totally jacked things up. He took a deep breath, which felt surprisingly normal, considering he was underwater. Me and Hazel holding hands. It's not what you think. She was showing me this flashback from her past, trying to figure out my connection with Sammy. Frank's angry expression started to nod, replaced by curiosity. Did she... did you figure it out? Yeah, Leo said. Well, sort of. We didn't get a chance to talk about it afterward because of Shrimpzilla, but Sammy was my great-grandfather. He told Frank what they'd seen. The weirdness hadn't fully registered yet, but now, trying to explain it aloud, Leo could hardly believe it. Hazel had spe- had been sweet on his bisabuelo, a guy who had died when Leo was a baby. Leo hadn't made the connection before, but he had a vague memory of older family members calling his grandfather Sam Jr., which meant Sam Sr. was Sammy, Leo's bisabuelo. At some point, Tia Kalida herself, had talked with Sammy, consoling him and giving him a glimpse into the future, which meant that Hera had been shaping Leo's life generations before he was even born. If Hazel had stayed in the 1940s, if she'd married Sammy, Leo might have been her great grandson. Oh, man, Leo said when he had finished the story. I don't feel so good, but I swear on the sticks, that's what we saw. Frank had the same expression as the monster catfish head. Wide, glassy eyes, and an open mouth. Hazel? Hazel liked your great-grandfather? That's why she likes you? Frank, I know this is weird. Believe me, but I don't like Hazel. Not that way. I'm not moving in on your girl. Frank knit his eyebrows. No, Leo hoped he wasn't blushing. Truthfully, he had no idea how he felt about Hazel. She was awesome and cute. And Leo had a weakness for awesome cute girls, but the flashback had complicated his feelings. A lot. Besides, his ship was in trouble. I guess you care more about your ship than your friends, Frank had said. That was true. That wasn't true, was it? Leo's dad, Hephaestus, had admitted once that he wasn't good with organic life forms. And yes, Leo had always been more comfortable with machines than people, but he did care about his friends piper and jason he'd known them the longest but the others were important to him too even frank they were like family the problem was it had been so long since leo had had a family he couldn't even remember how it felt sure last winter he'd become senior counselor of Hephaestus cabin but most of his time had been spent building the ship he liked his cabin mates he knew how to work with them but did he really know them if Leo had a family, it was the demigods or on the Arya II, the 2nd, and maybe Coach Hedge, which Leo would never admit aloud. You will always be the outsider, warned Nemesis's voice. But Leo tried to push that thought aside. Right. So, he looked around him. We need to make a plan. How are we breathing? If we're under the ocean, shouldn't we be crushed by the water pressure? Frank shrugged. Fish horse magic, I guess. I remember the green guy touching my head with the point of a dagger. Then I could breathe. Leo studied the abalone door. Can you bust us out? Turn into a hammerhead shark or something? Frank shook his hand glumly. My shape-shifting doesn't work. I don't know why. Maybe they cursed me or maybe I'm too messed up to focus. Hazel could be in trouble, Leo said. We've got to get out of here. He swam to the door and ran his fingers along the abalone. He couldn't feel any kind of latch or other mechanism. Either the door could only be opened by magic, or sheer force was required, neither of which was Leo's specialty. I've already tried, Frank said. Even if we get out, we have no weapons. Hmm. Leo held up his hand. I wonder. He concentrated, and fire flickered over his fingers. For a split second, Leo was excited because he hadn't expected to work underwater. Then his plans started working a little too well. Fire raced up his arm and over his body until he was completely shrouded in a thin veil of flame. He tried to breathe, but he was inhaling pure heat. Leo! Frank flailed backwards like he was falling off a bar stool. Instead of racing to Leo's aid, he hugged the wall to get as far, as, far away as possible. Leo forced himself to stay calm. He understood what was going on. The fire itself couldn't hurt him. He willed the flames to die and counted to five. He took a shallow breath. He had oxygen again. Frank stopped trying to merge with the cave wall. You're- you're okay. Yeah, Leo grumbled. Thanks for the assist. I- I'm sorry. Frank looked so horrified and ashamed it was hard for Leo to stay mad at him. I just- what happened? Clever magic, Leo said. There's a thin layer of oxygen around us, like an extra skin. Must be self-regenerating. That's how we're breathing and staying dry. The oxygen gave the fire fuel, except the fire almost also suffocated me. I really don't... Frank gulped. I don't like that fire summoning you do. He started getting cozy with the wall again. Leo didn't mean to, but he couldn't help laughing. (laughs) Man, I'm not going to attack you. Fire. Frank repeated, like that one word explained everything. Leo remembered what Hazel had said. That his fire made Frank nervous. He'd seen the discomfort in Frank's face before, but Leo hadn't taken it seriously. Frank seemed way more powerful and scary than Leo was. Now it occurred to him that Frank might have had a bad experience with fire. Leo's own mom had died in a machine shop blaze. Leo had been blamed for it. He'd grown up being called a freak, an arsonist, because whenever he got angry, things burned. Sorry, I laughed, he said, and he meant it. My mom died in a fire. I understand being afraid of it. Did did something like that happen with you? Frank seemed to be weighing down how much to say. "'My house, my grandmother's place, it burned down, but it's more than that.' He stared at the sea urchins on the floor. "'Hannabeth, I said I could trust the crew. Even you. Even me, huh?' Leo wondered how that could had come up in conversation. "'Wow, high praise.' "'My weakness.' Frank started like the words cut his mouth. "'There's this piece of firewood.' The abalone door rolled open." Leo turned and found himself face to face with Lima Bean Man, who wasn't actually a man at all. Now that Leo could see him clearly, the guy was by far the weirdest creature he'd ever met, and that was saying a lot. From the waist up, he was more or less a human. A thin, bared-chested dude with a dagger in his belt and a band of sheath shells strapped across his chest like a bandolier. His skin was green, his beard scraggly brown, and his longish hair was tied back in a seaweed bandana. A pair of lobster claws stuck up from his head like horns, turning up and snapping at random. Leo decided he didn't look so much like Chiron. He looked more like the posters Leo's mom used to keep in her workspace. That old Mexican bandit Pancho Villa. Except with sea shells and lobster horns. From the waist down, the guy was more complicated. He had the forelegs of a blue-green horse, sort of like a centaur. But toward the back, his horse body morphed into a long, fishy tail about ten feet long with a rainbow-colored, V-shaped tail fin. Now, Leo understood what Frank meant by fish horse guys. "'I'm Bythos,' said the green man. "'I will interrogate Frank Zang.' His voice was calm and firm, leaving no room for debate. "'Why did you capture us?' Leo demanded. "'Where's Hazel?' Bythos narrowed his eyes. His expression seemed to say, "'Did this tiny creature just talk to me?' "'You, Leo Valdez, will go with with my brother.' your brother Leo realized that a much larger figure was looming behind Bythos with a shadow so wide it filled the entire cave entrance Yes Bythos said with a dry smile try not to make Afros mad And that's the end of chapter 23 Well I'm glad that some misunderstandings were cleared up there because I think if Leo wasn't able to if Leo had not been able to clear up the misunderstanding that of What Coach Hedge had said of Leo and Hazel staring endlessly into each other's eyes, I think Frank would have been very, very upset with him, and probably the relationship between the group would have probably started to dwindle down from there. So I'm really glad that Leo was able to clarify and what exactly happened, and that Leo and that Frank actually is able to, you know, be understand him, like be able to understand him and be thoughtful. So I'm really glad that that got cleared up and maybe their relationship might be on track maybe leo might be able to prove nemesis wrong i really hope that he's able to prove nemesis wrong because you know leo he's just so awesome just like the other members of the group they're all awesome they're all equally awesome which is why leo should never be left out he'll he'll he has the duty of making nemesis approving nemesis wrong and i believe that he will So, after this break, or non-existent break, we will read chapter 24, see more into what exactly do Bythos and Afros exactly do with Frank and Leo, and what is exactly the interrogation, and why exactly were they brought into an underwater sea palace. So, see you guys after the break! we're back from the ads and now we're going to read chapter 24 leo afros looked at it looked like his brother except he was blue instead of green and much much bigger he had arnold's terminator abs and arms and a square brutish head a huge conan approved sword was strapped across his back even his hair was bigger a massive globe of blue black frizz so thick that his lobster claw horns appeared to be drowning as they tried to swim their way to the surface is that why they named you Afros? Leo asked as they glided down the path from the cave. Because of the Afro? Afro scowled. What do you mean? Nothing. Leo said quickly. At least you would never have trouble remembering which fish dude was which. So, what are you guys exactly? Ichthyocentaurs? Afro said, like it was a question he was tired of answering. Uh, achy what? Fish centaurs. We are the half-brothers of Chiron. Oh, he's a friend of mine. Afros Afros narrowed his eyes. The one called Hazel told us this, but we will determine the truth. Come. Leo didn't like the sound of determine the truth. It made him think of torture racks and red-hot pokers. He followed the fish centaur through a massive forest of kelp. Leo could have darted to one side and gotten lost in the plants pretty easily, but he didn't try. For one thing, he figured Afros could travel much faster in the water, and the guy might be able to shut off the magic that let Leo move and breathe. Inside or outside the cave, Leo was just as much a captive. Also, Leo had no clue where he was. They drifted between rows of kelp as tall as apartment buildings. The green and yellow plants swayed weightlessly, like columns of helium balloons. High above, Leo saw a smudge of white that might have been the sun. He guessed that meant they'd been here overnight. Was the Argo II alright? Had it been sailed on without them, or were their friends still searching? Leo couldn't even be sure how deep they were. Plants could grow here, so not too deep, right? Still, he knew he couldn't just swim for the surface. He heard about people who ascended too quickly and developed nitrogen bubbles in their blood. Leo wanted to avoid carbonated blood. They drifted along for maybe half a mile. Leo was tempted to ask where Afros was taking him, but the big sword strapped to the centaur's back sort of discouraged conversation. Finally, the kelp forest opened up. Leo gasped. They were standing, swimming, whatever, at the summit of a high underwater hill. Below them stretched an entire town of Greek-style buildings on the seafloor the roofs were were tilted were tiled with mother-of-earth pearl the gardens were filled with coral and sea anemones hippocampi grazed in a field of seaweed a team of cyclops was placing the domed roof on a new temple using a blue whale as a crane and swimming through the streets hanging out in the courtyards practicing combat with tridents and swords in the arena where dozens of mermen and mermaids honest to goodness fish people leo had seen a lot of crazy stuff but he had always thought that merpeople were silly fictional creatures, like Smurfs or Muppets. There was nothing silly or cute about these merpeople, though. Even from a distance, they looked fierce and not at all human. Their eyes glowed yellow, they had shark-like teeth, and leathery skin in colors ranging from coral red to ink black. It's a training camp, Leo realized. He looked at Afros in awe. You train heroes the same way Chiron does? Afros nodded, a glint of pride in his eyes. We have trained all the famous mer-heroes. Name a mer-hero and we have trained him or her. Oh, sure, Leo said. Like, um, the Little Mermaid? Afros frowned. Who? No, like Triton, Glaucus, Weissmuller, and Bill. Oh, Leo had no idea who any of those people were. You trained Bill? Impressive. Indeed, Afros pounded his chest. I train Bill myself, a great merman. You teach combat, I guess. Afros threw his hands in exasperation. Why does everyone assume that? Leo glanced at the massive sword on the fish guy's back. Uh, I don't know. I teach music and poetry, Afros said. Life skills, homemaking, these are important for heroes. Absolutely. Leo tried to keep a straight face. Sewing? Sewing? Cookie baking? Yes, I'm glad you understand. Perhaps later if I don't have to kill you, I will share my brownie recipe. Afros gestured behind him contemptuously. My brother Bythos. He teaches combat. Leo wasn't sure whether he felt relieved or insulted that the combat trainer was interrogating Frank while Leo got the home economics teacher. So, great. uh, This is camp... What do you call it? Camp Fishblood? Afros frowned. I hope that was a joke. This is camp. He made a sound that was a series of sonar pings and hisses. Silly me, Leo said. And you know, I could really go for some of those brownies. So what do we have to do to get to the not killing me stage? Tell me your story, Afro said. Leo hesitated, but not for long. Somehow he sensed that he should tell the truth. He started at the beginning, how Hera had been his babysitter and placed him in the flames how his mother had died because of Gaia who had identified Leo as a future enemy he talked about how he had spent his childhood bouncing around in foster homes until he and Jason and Piper had been taken to camp halfblood he explained the prophecy of the seven and the building of the argo ii and their quest to reach greece and defeat the giants before gaia woke as he talked aphros drew some wicked looking metal spikes from his belt leo was afraid he had said something wrong but aphros pulled some seaweed yarn from his pouch and started knitting Go on, he urged. Don't stop. By the time Leo had explained the Eidolons, the problems with the Romans, and all the troubles with the Argo II had ca- encountered across the United States, and embarking from Charleston, our Afros had knitted a complete baby bonnet. Leo waited while the fish centaur put away his supplies. Afros's lobster claw horns kept swimming around in his thick hair, and Leo had to resist the urge to try and rescue them. Very well, Afros said. I believe you. As simple as that? I'm quite good at discerning lies. I hear none from you. Your story also fits with what Lehazel Levesque told us. Is she? Of course, Afro said. She's fine. He put his fingers to his mouth and whistled, which sounded strange underwater like a dolphin screaming. My people will bring her here shortly. You must understand our location is a carefully guarded secret. You and your friends showed up in a warship pursued by one of Keto's sea monsters. We did not know whose side you were on. Is the ship all right? Damaged, Afro said, but not terribly. The Skolopendra withdrew after it got a mouthful of fire. Nice touch. Thank you. Uh, Scolopendra? Never heard of it. Consider yourself lucky. They are nasty creatures. Keto must really hate you. At any rate, we rescued you and the other two from the creature's tentacles as it retreated into the deep. Your friends are still above, searching for you, but we have obscured their vision. We had to be sure you were not a threat, otherwise we would have to... Take measures. Leo gulped. He was pretty sure taking measures did not mean baking extra brownies. And if these guys were so powerful that they could keep their ha- camp hidden from Percy, who had all those poseidon water powers? They were not fish dudes to mess with. So, we can go? Soon, Afros promised. I must check with Bythos when he is done talking with your friend Gank. Frank. Frank. When they are done, we will send you back to your ship and we may have some warnings for you warnings ah afros pointed hazel emerged from the kelp forest escorted by two vicious looking mermaids who were baring their fangs and hissing leo thought hazel might be in danger then she he saw she was completely at ease grinning and talking with their escorts and leo realized that the mermaids were laughing leo hazel padded toward him isn't this place amazing they were left alone at the ridge which must have meant afros really did trust them While the centaur and the mermaids went off to fetch Frank, Leo and Hazel floated above the hill and gazed down at the underwater camp. Hazel told him how the mermaids had warmed up to her right away. Aphros and Bythos had been fascinated by her story, and they had never met a child of Pluto before. On top of that, they'd heard many legends about the horse Arian, and they were amazed that Hazel had befriended him. Hazel had promised to visit again with Arian. The mermaids had written their phone numbers in waterproof ink on Hazel's arms so that she could keep in touch. Leo didn't even want to ask how mermaids got cell phone coverage in the middle of the Atlantic. As Hazel talked, her hair floated around her face in a cloud, like brown earth and gold dust in a miner's pan. She looked very sure of herself, and very beautiful. Not at all like the shy, nervous girl in that New Orleans schoolyard with her smashed canvas lunch bag at her feet. We didn't get to talk, Leo said. He was reluctant to bring up the subject, but he knew this might be their only chance to be alone. I mean about Sammy. Her smile faded. I know. I just need some time to let it sink in. It's strange to think that you and he... She didn't need to finish the thought. Leah knew exactly how strange it was. I'm not sure I can explain this to Frank, she added, about you and me holding hands. She wouldn't meet Leo's eyes. Down in the valley, the Cyclops work crew cheered as the temple roof was set in place. I talked to him, Leo said. I told him I wasn't trying to, you know make trouble between you two. Oh, good did she sound disappointed leo wasn't sure and he wasn't sure he wanted to know frank uh seemed pretty freaked out when i summoned fire leo explained what had happened in the cave hazel looked stunned oh no that would terrify him Her hand went to her denim jacket, like she was checking for something in the inside pocket. She always wore that jacket, or some sort of overshirt. Even when it was hot outside, Leo had assumed that she did it out of modesty, or because it was better for horseback riding, like a motorcycle jacket. Now, he began to wonder. His brain shifted into high gear. He remembered what Frank had said about his weakness, a piece of firewood. He thought about why this kid would have a fear of fire, and why Hazel would be so attuned to those feelings. Leo thought about some of the stories he'd heard at Camp Half-Blood. For obvious reasons, he tended to pay attention to legends about fire. Now, he remembered one he hadn't thought about in once. In months. There was an old legend about a hero, he recalled. His lifeline was tied to a stick in a fireplace. And when that piece of wood burned up, Hazel's expression turned dark. Leo knew he'd stuck on the truth. Frank has that problem, he guessed. And the piece of firewood, he pointed at Hazel's jacket. He gave it to you for safekeeping? Leo, please don't. I can't talk about it. Leo's instincts as a mechanic kicked in. He started thinking about the properties of wood and the corrosiveness of salt water. Is the firewood okay in the ocean like this? Does the layer of air around you protect it? It's fine, Hazel said. The wood didn't even get wet. Besides, it's wrapped up in several layers of cloth and plastic, and she bit her lip in frustration. And I'm not supposed to talk about it. Leo, the point is, if Frank seems afraid of you or uneasy, you've got to understand. Leo was glad he was floating, because he probably would have been too dizzy to stand. He imagined being in Frank's position, his life so fragile it could burn up any time. He imagined how much trust it would take to give his lifeline, his entire fate, to another person. Frank had chosen Hazel, obviously. So when he'd seen Leo, a guy who could summon fire at will, moving in on his girl... Leo shuddered. No wonder Frank didn't like him. And suddenly, Frank's ability to turn into a bunch of different animals didn't seem so awesome. Not if it came with a big catch like that. Leo thought about his least favorite line in the Prophecy of the Seven. To storm or fire, the world must fall. For a long time, he figured that either Jason or Percy stood for storm. Maybe both of them together. Leo was the fire guy. Nobody said that, but it was pretty clear. Leo was one of the wild cards. If he did the wrong thing, the world could fall. No. It must fall. Leo wondered if Frank and his firewood had something to do with that line. Leo had already made some epic mistakes. It would be so easy for him to accidentally send Frank Zhang up in flames. There you are, Bythos' voice made Leo flinch. Bythos and Aphros floated over with Frank between them, looking pale, but okay. Frank studied Hazel and Leo carefully as if trying to read what they've been talking about. You're free to go. Bythos said. He opened his saddlebags and returned their confiscated supplies. Leo had never been so glad to fit his tool belt around his waist. Tell Percy Jackson not to worry, Aphros said. We have understood your story about the imprisoned sea creatures in Atlanta. Keto and Forceus must be stopped. We will send a quest of mere heroes to defeat them and free their captives. Perhaps Cyrus? Or Bill, Bythos offered. Yes, Bill would be perfect, Aphros agreed. At any rate, we are grateful that Percy brought this to our attention. You should talk to him in person. We give suggestion. I mean, son of Poseidon and all. Both fish centaurs shook their heads solemnly. Sometimes it is best not to interact with Poseidon's brood, Aphro said. We are friendly with the sea god, of course, but the politics of undersea deities is complicated. And we value our independence. Nevertheless, tell Percy thank you. We will do what we can to speed you safely across the Atlantic without further interference from Kido's monsters. But be warned, in the ancient sea, the mare nostrum. More dangers await. Frank sighed. <sighs> Naturally. Bythos clapped the big guy on the shoulder. You'll be fine, Frank Zhang. Keep practicing the sea life transformations. The koi fish is good, but try for a Portuguese man of war. Remember what I showed you. It's all in the breathing. Frank looked mortally embarrassed leo bit his lip determined not to smile and you hazel afro said come visit again and bring that horse of yours i know you are concerned about the time you lost spending the night in our realm you're worried about your brother nico hazel gripped her cavalry sword is he do you know where he is afro shook his head not exactly but when you get closer you should be able to sense his presence never fear you must reach rome the day after tomorrow if you are to save him but there is still time, and you must save him. Yes, Balthus agreed. He will be essential for your journey. I'm not sure how, but I sense it is true. Aphros planted his hand on Leo's shoulder. As for you, Leo Valdes, stay close to Hazel and Frank when you reach Rome. I sense they will face uh, mechanical difficulties that only you can overcome. Mechanical difficulties? Leo asked. Aphros smiled as if that was great news. And I have gifts for you, the brave navigators of the Inargo the I like to think of myself as captain, Leo said, or supreme commander. Brownies, Aphra said proudly, shoving an old-fashioned picnic into Leo's arms. It was surrounded by a bubble of air, which Leo hoped would keep the brownies from turning into saltwater fudge sludge. In this basket, you will also find the recipe. Not too much, but not too much butter. That's the trick. And I've given you a letter of introduction to Tiberinus, the god of the Tiber River. Once you reach Rome, your your friend, the daughter of Athena, will need this. Annabeth, Leo said. Okay, but why? Bythos laughed. (laughs) She follows the mark of Athena, doesn't she? Tiberius can guide her in this quest. He's an ancient, proud god who can be difficult, but letters of introduction are everything to Roman spirits. This will convince Tiberius to help her, hopefully. Hopefully, Leo repeated Pythos produced three small pink pearls from his saddlebags. And now, off with you, demigods. Good sailing. He threw a pearl at each of them in turn, and three shimmering pink bubbles of energy formed around them. They began to rise through the water. Leo had just had time to think. A hamster ball elevator? Then he gained speed and rocketed toward the distant glow of the sun above. And that's the end of chapter 24. I really think that this was in some ways than other really heartwarming seeing how friendly this camp was instead of being so hostile i think the friendly nature of these two camps just goes to show that if the roman camp and the greek camp are able to set their misunderstandings aside and they're able to clear the whole fiasco that happened at the roman camp with the idolons possessing leo i think that essentially this is what can happen with all the demigod camps right because essentially the goal of these camps are to prepare these demigods for any monsters or any grave danger that is to ha- happen to the world right there these demigods are supposed to be pe- are supposed to be the people who protect the world who protect the world from you know titans from monsters from even goddesses like gaia they're supposed to be the ones protecting them And I think that just this interaction between the mermaid camp and, you know, Leo, Frank and Hazel just goes to show that a little kindness just goes a really far, a long way. And I think that this can be applicable to the Roman and Greek camp. And I do really hope so that this does happen to the Roman and Greek camp, that they're just as friendly to each other as the mermaid camp was to Frank, Leo and Hazel. And hopefully... They are able to be successful in going to Rome and be able to return with defeating Gaia and essentially defeating her monster army and potentially sending her to eternal slumber or just yeah never waking up. So hopefully that's what happens and hopefully this prophecy of the seven is able to defeat Gaia. So next week we'll read chapters twenty-five to twenty-six. See how the rest of this uh, go affairs. Hopefully. And since now they have the support of the mermaid camp, they won't really face that much trouble, too much trouble on sea, in sea. But I think that this was certainly, these two chapters were certainly very relationship building, very, a lot of bonding with each other. And I think it really improved the uh, relationship between that Leo had, has with Frank and Hazel so yeah next week we'll read chapters 25 to 26 and if you guys really enjoyed this episode stay tuned for next week's episode where we'll continue reading on this and it totally optional but if you guys wanted to show some extra support uh i have the link to my patreon in the description of my podcast um it would be really thank great it would be really great if you guys could show some support there and yeah totally optional once again but if you guys just wanted to show some support really appreciate that but yeah thank you guys for listening and until next week or just in general stay safe and stay out of boredom